0: amen good morning lake avenue church so glad that you're not getting ready for the super bowl yet and that you're here um it's going to be a good morning i want to before we jump into the sermon today i just want to thank you if you were with us last weekend it was a a marvelous sunday at lake avenue church Uh, over 600 of you trusted us with your phone number and texted and about 300 of you, we didn't have any information on you, and now we have everything about you. <laughs> and, and also, not just the connections we made uh, in our time of worship, but I'm so grateful for all of you who helped plan and lead and serve at our Lunar New Year celebration on the plaza. If you helped with that, could you stand so your church can thank you? Thank you, thank you. I, uh, I probably have shared more about that celebration this week than, than anything else just in my, my life outside of Lake Avenue Church. Well, today uh, we begin a, a four-week uh, sermon series, uh, a new one called Reluctant Obedience. And let me talk about it for a moment because I think there's this narrative that exists within people of faith, people who follow Jesus. And, and the narrative goes like this. Uh, That the more I follow Jesus, the longer I identify as a Christian, um, then obedience becomes easier and easier and easier. And I'll just let you know, I I, I guess for some that's probably their their story, but for the next four weeks, we're going to look at four different characters in the Old Testament whose lives and the circumstances around their lives are anything but that narrative. At the core, what we'll find are just incredibly human people who struggle to be obedient. Because that seems to be, I think, the truer narrative for many of us. That we love God. I pray that's true for you. We love Jesus, we want our lives to look like Jesus, and we want this to become more and more natural, and we want to be able to say yes to the right things and no to the wrong things and to trust Jesus where he leads in our lives, but, but at our core, we're, we're really broken people, and we're sinful people, and we're human beings following God. And so for the next few weeks, as we look at four different people and see how they interacted with God in, in, what we, in a reluctant circumstance as of today or reluctancy because of sin or choices they've made. Because I believe this, most of the people we read about, most of the people who show up in Hebrews later as heroes of our faith are people that would have a really hard time getting a job at a local church. They went past the background check. Because they're just so human and yet the scripture is full of them and so we want to learn from their lives And today we're, we're looking at an incredible woman A woman who, uh, who I think we would want to hire in a heartbeat to be at Lake Avenue Church And, and her name's Ruth and we'll be in the book of Ruth And we'll read our scripture in a moment But I just for a moment want to give you some context Some of you know the story of Ruth and, and we're only going into the first chapter So I encourage you I hope what happens over the next few minutes together is you'd be hooked to this amazing woman so that you would want to devotionally follow her this week and to read chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4. It's only four chapters. You can handle it because we're just going to get a taste of, of someone who is, who is amazing today who can show us what it looks like to be obedient to God in the midst of incredible circumstance because there's a relationship between circumstance and obedience, there's a relationship between circumstance and obedience. For some of us, uh, it's easier to connect with God, to have faith in God, to trust God, when the circumstances around us and our life make sense. For some of us even, when, when a circumstance hits our, our family or hits our self, in that moment, that reflex, that could be very easy for us to want to turn to God, to be with God. But it's been my experience that the real challenge lies in when circumstance after circumstance after circumstance after circumstance, the piling on of just a broken world and life around us is the very thing that can cause us to feel like either God has turned away from us or that we ought to turn away from God because how can a God exist if all of this is happening? Ruth stands as a remarkable woman because the story is so gripping. If you were to open up and feel free to follow along, in chapter 1, the very first words that are written in Ruth, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In those days Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. It's a gripping narrative, so this is our context. Our context is this is a time before the kingdom has become anything in the story of God's people. And all we know is that this is a time of the judges. And so in in Judges 21-25, to give some context when the judges ruled, in those days Israel had no king, everyone did as they saw fit. I messed that up. Verse 1 says, in the days when the judges ruled. Here's the deal. Political chaos, cultural chaos, Chaos. I mean, try to think what it would be like to live at a time with political and cultural chaos around you. (laughs) I just wonder. But it gets worse. It continues in verse 1. So, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Now, imagine on top of political chaos, cultural chaos, now we have some natural disasters that have hit Israel. There's famine. This is not looking good. So we have a a context of political, cultural, and now natural disasters. Uh, There's a famine in Bethlehem. The irony of that is that Bethlehem means about bread, (laughs) the house of bread, but there is no bread in Bethlehem. The tension is created, and it continues, and we meet a family that because of all the chaos and the reality of famine, they flee. They flee Bethlehem, and they go to a neighboring country a neighboring area called Moab. The circumstances were so difficult for this one particular family that they, like many people do, immigrated away from home in hopes for a better life. They couldn't stay home, so they needed to go into a place that that was foreign to them. And, And we meet this family, and we meet the mother, Naomi, we meet the father, Elimelech, and they've got a couple of boys. But Ruth, we've got to get to Ruth, and so what we find out is they leave Bethlehem because of the famine, and now they find themselves in this new land, and the text will go on to tell us that they not only have now immigrated to Moab, but they've assimilated because their boys have grown up and their boys have married Moabite women. Blended family. So we get this picture. Bad context, leaves, set up new life, and then another layer of circumstance hits when we find out that Naomi's husband, the patriarch of the family, dies. It will continue on to say a short time later, a little bit later, both of her boys die, and now we find ourselves with three women, alone, without husbands, and in that time, that was a huge deal. Because the husband, the the men, were the ones where livelihood was secured, where safety was secured, where, where identity was formed. It was in the context of marriage and relationship and family. And we see now three widows, and they are in a tough situation. And to add another layer of circumstance... Well, you can read in the text that not only was all this stuff happening outside, political, cultural, natural disasters, now we've got death in the family, and we've got the mother-in-law believing that God has caused all of this because of her. Now we have not only tragedy hitting a family, but we have someone in the family saying, get away from me, girls, because God is not happy with me. And so in this conflict, Naomi, the mom, with her two daughters-in-law, foreign daughters-in-law, she says to them, because they got word that the, the famine was over, so it was now safe to go back to Bethlehem, that was her best shot at a new life, but she knew that her daughter-in-laws would not be welcome. It would be too difficult for them to come with her, and because of her, her, this chaos around her life, she says to them, go back home. Don't come with me. Go back home go back to your families, go back to the the world you know, and that will be your best chance of a better life. If you come with me, it's not good. And we have these two daughters, Orpah and Ruth, and they stand in juxtaposition, but here's what they're not. Orpah is not a, I don't believe, a weak woman. Because I think it makes sense. I mean, if, if, if these three women came into my office and explained their circumstance and the big tension was, should the daughter-in-laws go with mom or should they go back to their family of origin for a shot at a better life, I think objectively, I think objectively I would probably counsel to go. I think that sounds wise. So what's extraordinary is that Ruth makes the unordinary choice. The ordinary and expected choice would be what Orpah did. Yeah, okay. Love you guys. Going back home. Ruth is the extraordinary one who says, I'm going to be, I'm going to do something counter. I feel led to do something totally different in the midst of all of these circumstances. And it's in this context we'll now read our scripture. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Continuing in this story with verse 15. If even death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So what's the reluctancy in this story? I mean the only reluctancy Honestly, the only, the only disobedience we can see from what Ruth did is a reluctancy many of you know. You don't want to do what your mother-in-law wants you to do either. That was, you laughed better than nine. Thank you. I really needed that today. No, no, the, what, what's, what's reluctant is, and what, what we're celebrating is, is the unordinary choice that Ruth makes. Because for her, she had every reason. The circumstances were huge. The circumstances had piled. And when the circumstances pile in our lives, it is often in those moments we find for the the most convenient, the easy, the expected, the the thing we ought to do. And what we see in Ruth's words is the unexpected. A, A way to understand obedience in the Bible, very simple, is people are obedient in the Scripture And that kind of obedience is when you turn towards God. It means that in this moment, throughout the scripture, you can see this. In in really positive moments, people turning towards God, obedience. In difficult circumstances, people turning towards God, obedience. In the Psalms, we can read over and over, even times where you feel like, like God isn't near you, but to even say that to God is a turning towards God. So a turning towards God in all circumstances is what obedience is. And when crisis comes, it's often true that turning toward God can be very difficult and dynamic, and especially when the circumstances pile. I want to talk about Ruth's words to her mother-in-law because I think there's two things in here that can encourage us because it's not just her who lives in a time of amazing circumstances. I know just this week, just this week in this church, I'm aware that some of you have family members in the hospital waiting on a diagnosis, waiting for hope. I know that just this week, there are people in this congregation whose who marriages are hanging on by a thread, that just this week, some of you have no idea how you're gonna pay the bills next week. And all of those circumstances on top of other circumstances, we need an example. We need to know what it looks like to turn towards God when all of the circumstances around us feel overwhelming. And we can feel like Naomi, like if there was really, God is not into me right now. Or I'm not into God right now because of all of this. Ruth becomes a model for us. So there's two things I want to point out, but, I, but I, I want us to see something profound that goes in contrast to the world that you and I live in right now. What, what Ruth is doing when she speaks to her mother-in-law is making a vow, is, is taking an oath. She's not just in a verbal conversation with her mother-in-law. The language that she uses is her making a verbal vow A a verbal oath, a commitment. Because in that time, your words mattered. Your words carry weight. Your intentions, when you say you're going to do something, when you speak it, you're held accountable to that in yourself and by the world around you. But you and I live at a time where our words don't matter. Where we can say to one another even today, I'll I'll reach out to you this week, and and we won't. We, We live at a time where we can just flippantly get on social media and put really horrible and negative and harsh things about other human beings created in God's image. And we can just let it sit out there. Detached from any kind of person, because we live in a time where words are flippant. We live in a time where we have evidences over and over and over again, right, of all these investigations and the politicians, where they say, "I don't, I've never said that," and then you can roll the footage that they did say that, but I didn't mean it. Our words just don't matter. When Ruth makes an oath to her mother-in-law. It is more than just casual conversation. It is more than just general intention. It is her her making a commitment, and you'll see it in a moment, commitment to death. Commitment to be with her mother-in-law through life and to death. That's how strongly Ruth experienced her words to her mother-in-law. And I think this, I think it's time for us as a church to really consider the words in which we share with one another. This is a time if the world around us doesn't put much value on words or doesn't make commitments. This is a time for us at Lake Avenue Church to understand the weight of our words. And when we can understand that the words we speak actually are meant to bring life to us. See, see, this oath that Ruth takes is an oath to kindness. Kindness, biblically, is the considering of the other. Ruth is in a moment where she's in her own crisis of sorts, but she is considering her mother-in-law, Naomi, and her needs, and she makes a verbal commitment. And that, th- those words will bring hope to her mother-in-law, so this oath is to benefit the other person, But it's also spoken in a way where she will be accountable. And if you follow this story, you're going to see how she lives out these words in a dynamic way that models for us what obedience is and actually is a foreshadowing of the kind of person Jesus will come to be in the way back to God. It's profound. And this is why we do things like small groups. This is why every week we say go connect because the power of relationship and the power of words is designed for us to actually live the life God has called us to. And one of the struggles that we have as human beings is is to be vulnerable is to share with one another what's really happening because that's the reality of of accountability in words. If I speak what I believe God is calling me to do, if I speak that I know the things in my life that are wrong, if I speak and say those things to where someone else can listen, I actually have to be somewhat responsible for what I've shared. And this is why I was in a small group for years with a group of couples. We were together for four years, and not once during those four years did this one couple say, our marriage is really tough, but all of a sudden we found out they were getting divorced because they never shared the journey. And if you don't share the journey, you can't be held accountable to a different way of life. And we need to grow as a church, and if you have found your way at Lake Avenue Church... Because you have been hurt by another church. Seems to be that that's how many people find us. Because it's been a bad experience where maybe you shared vulnerably and it wasn't heard or it was mistreated or it was gossiped about. We want to be a church where our words matter and they help us form life with one another, connect us to one another. And the oath in here, this is why the sermon's called I Will. She says I will four times. Four times, I'm going to, I will, I will, I will. And if you follow the book of Ruth, you'll see that she does. So what's the I will of your life? In the midst of your circumstances, in the midst of your life, in the midst of you turning towards God and looking for obedience, what are the I wills and will you speak them? Will you say them so that you can be held accountable and benefit the church and this world? Okay, enough of that tangent. Here we go. There are two things I want you to see within this oath, within this verbal commitment, two things that speak to us, shape us for what obedience looks like so we can get the real narrative. And the first one is this. Obedience requires courage. I mean, listen to this oath. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and my God, your God. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, even if death separates me. What I want you to see, the courage of her vow is because she makes a commitment in the midst of adversity. I feel like Naomi steals a little bit of the plot and the energy of chapter 1 often because she's so openly grieving. She's so openly sharing about how difficult it is. I mean, she's sending her daughter-in-laws away, and and she becomes like the the, the subject with the problem, and and she's verbalizing. Can we remember for a moment that Ruth lost her husband? It wasn't just Naomi who lost her son. Ruth lost her husband. Ruth was grieving too. We don't get any insight into chapter 1 about her grief. What we get is insight into how she makes a courageous choice to link herself to someone grieving. This is a commitment, this is obedience that is made in adversity. Some would look at her choice and call this foolish. Uh, Take care of yourself right now, Ruth. Get back on your feet, and then you can care for your mother-in-law. Why don't you take some time to grieve yourself? I mean, we have all of this rationale in front of us, and that would be expected. It would be ordinary. I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with that kind of response. But we're looking at Ruth because of her extraordinary choices her unexpected decisions. And it's unexpected for her to lead with courage in a time of adversity in her own life. And it models for us that there are going to be moments in our lives where we have to obey and turn towards God and it's got to be courageous. It's into an unknown. I've shared this story with you before because I think, again, part of the narrative we believe is that if we do life right, that somehow over the course of our life we will have less adversity we will get more square footage, we will have larger savings accounts, we will get more responsibilities at work, we will become more and more and more and more. And that if God is in it, surely God will lead me towards that story. But oftentimes, obedience to God is in the midst of circumstances around you. He's calling us to a very different kind of life. Where Ruth could have taken care of herself, God called her to be and to link her life with her mother-in-law, her grieving mother-in-law. When, when we were, well, Jenny was actually pregnant, I participated, but we were trying to, we felt the Lord calling us that for a season, just for a season, that Jenny, who was a, a full-time teacher, she would take some time off to be with our, our new child. And we, we were really clear that we sensed God calling us to that. We didn't know how long. So when God gives us that kind of direction, and we come back to the spreadsheet and start doing the bills, how are we gonna make this work? And I was stressing out for many months, going, we know God's called us to do this, but I'm not quite sure how the math is gonna work, and we're right on the cusp of kind of compromising what we believe God has called us to do because of money. When a friend of mine said, Jeff, why do you believe that all the right decisions in life mean you're gonna make money? Sometimes the right decision in your life is a, is a different kind of result or life. There's a consequence, a beautiful consequence, and will you trust God? Amen. And I can give you story after story about how God provided for us when the math didn't look like it was going to work out. We've never regretted that decision, but sometimes we have to rethink that, that, that we, all the right choices mean... It's all going to work out. All the right choices mean we're going, to, we're going to have a net positive in all the areas that everybody says you should. And in Ruth's circumstance, it would have been easier for her to not obey. Which this turning towards her mother-in-law and ultimately her turning towards God. It would have been easier to take care of herself and go for a different story of security and safety and hopefully getting remarried. And, all, and now she's going to break free because when God calls, sometimes... He's calling us to something that takes an incredible amount of courage and trust. And that's the real narrative of obedience. That when Jesus calls us, there's going to be times where it's going to take incredible courage. God will ask us to turn toward him and sometimes away from everything we know and trust and have set up our whole lives around. Ruth models for us incredible courage. The second aspect of her obedience I want to talk about is her obedience had a cost. I mean, here are the words again. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I'll be buried. The cost of her oath, the cost of her obedience was with her entire life for the rest of her life. That is a high cost. Ruth commits, when she does this, to an unknown and uncertain future. Ruth, in contrast, now remember how this, I find this so interesting. It was a cool insight I found this week. What starts this whole story is famine in the land in Bethlehem and this Jewish family in hopes of a better life, immigrating away, because that is often the story of immigration. Most of the stories of all of you, I was talking to a brother in our church from Egypt uh, who came to Pasadena because the circumstance in their life in Egypt was so difficult that in hopes of a better life, they came here. This seems to be the main story of, of what immigration and migration is. Notice for Ruth, it's, it's, it's opposite of that. She's actually immigrating into a more dangerous and uncertain life. She's placing herself into a very uncertain, unsure, difficult circumstance. So when she says, where I go, you will go, I am putting myself next to you and I will be a foreigner. Where you stay, I will stay. What happens to you, will ha- they don't know what's going to happen to them. Ruth sits in contrast to her family, and Ruth sits in contrast to most of what we know about people fleeing difficulty, and Ruth is moving towards difficulty. That's a high cost. My whole life, or the rest of my life, into an uncertain future, with no promises that this is going to get any better, and you've got to keep reading if you know it. It's just so gripping what it looks like, how God provides for her throughout, from this oath. Ruth's obedience is costly. It's an obedience towards uncertainty. It's an obedience towards danger. It's an obedience towards an unknown future. And has that ever come into the equation for some of us when we think about the life that Jesus wants for us, that there, there's going to be moments, potentially, where God's inviting us and calling us into an uncertain future? Or is certainty, safety, what we truly value? I have a, a ridiculous illustration in contrast to the, to the cost of Ruth. Because I think sometimes the cost for many of us and what keeps us away from obedience is as simple as our reputation. That God might be inviting us to do something or to say something or to be somewhere, but we really care what other people think, and so we don't. We don't turn towards God. We don't obey, because how people see us matters. And I'd love to admit to you that I'm void of that temptation, but I I really do care what people think of me. So here's my silly illustration. On Friday night, our fourth and fifth graders had a lock-in overnighter, and I went as a parent not a staff member. And I made that very clear to Melinda and to Kat. I said, we, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not answering any questions. I'm just here to drive. Tell me where to show up and do. And I had a blast. I did leave at midnight, because I'm not sleeping on the floor here. So, <laughs> so we took this group of fourth and fifth graders to the, to the bowling alley. And part of the package was bowling. And pe- it was like a lifetime. I loved it. It was so fun. Bowling and pizza and all the things you should never eat. And then all the kids got a little card that had so many credits to go play video games. And uh, there was one student from our church who was standing by a video game every time I looked over. And he was standing there. It was like 10 minutes. Wasn't moving. Everybody else was moving around, having fun. And I go up to him. I go, hey, everything okay? And he said, well, I, I swiped my card and the game didn't work. And so I went to the, I asked the guy And he said, I'll be right back, stay at the game. And I said, and he hasn't come back yet. He said, no, he hasn't come back yet. I said, okay. So I waited with him for a few more minutes, and I go, when you see the guy, let me know who he is. So he goes, that guy, that guy. Well, it was the manager. I had met the manager earlier that night. He knew I was the pastor of the church, and now there's just a few things that will get me fired up, and a kid standing for 12 minutes by a video game for 50 cents is one of those things that's gonna get me a little, but I was cool, I was calm. I go up to the manager and I said, hey, I know you're so busy. You are so busy. Um, you know, there's a, there's a kid over there who's been waiting for like you know, 15 minutes for you to come back and, and help. And he dismissed it. He goes, well, you know, we're really busy. I'll be there in about 20 minutes. No, no. <laughs> I said, well, here's the moment. I... <laughs> he knows what I do. And, and I care what he thinks about us. But I said to him, I said, with all due respect, uh, the kid is 10 years old. I think if you're not gonna make it right, then you owe him, you could have said no, and then you could have let us know, and we can walk through that with him and help him understand how his, we can get him some more credits, but he's been waiting 15 minutes. So if the answer's no, give him a no, but regardless, you need to go up to him and give him him an apology, because he's been waiting for 15 minutes. Now, I'm saying it very calm to you. I was a little boilie because my Papa Bear came out. Well, here's the point. I don't think this guy's coming to Lake Avenue Church anytime soon. (laughs) He ended up making it right. But in that moment, I have a conviction, a deep conviction. I mean, honestly, this this feels like it might be a dad thing. It's a scriptural thing for me, unless you're like one of the children who will never understand the kingdom. Kids are the entry for us as adults to understand who Jesus is and what he's like. That's why when our kids sing, they're not a a prop for us. They're leading us into the heart of Jesus. Kids matter. It's not just because I was a former youth pastor. I believe that there's nothing more precious in this world and in a church than to invest in the lives. And I don't need a 10-year-old at our church having a bad night be over 50-cent game. And so I came and I knew what I needed to do, but I cared what he thought about me. And for you, you know what God is calling you to do. You know what hits your convictions. You know what is right and wrong. And oftentimes, we're really brave in our own homes, but we don't take that courage and that cost out to the places where it's time to actually say what God has asked us to do. Because we care too much about what people think. See, for Ruth, there was an incredible cost. Her life, her whole life, an uncertain future, For Ruth, it it took an amazing amount of courage to move away from everything she knew to to what she doesn't know. And her life models for us because there's going to be moments in your life and in my life where everything around us is falling apart. Here's why I chose Ruth. She didn't cause the famine. She didn't cause the political chaos. She didn't cause the cultural chaos. She didn't cause her father-in-law and her husband to die. This just happened to her. Don't worry, next week we'll talk about some of the Old Testament who made all kinds of choices to put himself in a tough situation. Personal responsibility next week. This is just life. And in the midst of all of that life, we can see that that's the world we live into. And we need examples to know what does it mean to turn towards God when everything around us is falling apart. And what we can see in Ruth is that we turn to God and and it takes courage. And when we turn to God, there's a cost. And erase the narrative that the longer you follow Jesus, the easier it all becomes, and the more square footage. There is a, a rich life waiting for you. I invite you to read the rich life that follows Ruth the adventure, the joy, the provision, the shocking ending to where we are going to see that this Moabite woman is now in the line of David. It will lead us to Jesus and is called out in the genealogies in Matthew because of her faithfulness, because of her example. And we need her, and we need people like Ruth to show us what it looks like to follow Jesus, to be obedient, when everything inside, it would be totally understandable to not. So for you this morning and this week, are there circumstances at war with your obedience? And can you take a courageous step towards Jesus? Count the cost, but take a courageous step towards Jesus in the midst of circumstance. For some of you, is it time to declare to somebody else what you know God is asking you to do? Is it time to make your oath to God in a place where it can be heard so that we as a church and you and your community can hold you accountable to live the life that God has asked you to live? Some of us need to speak up this week and not just have quiet, secret commitments in our hearts and our head but to risk and to be vulnerable and to be in relationship with one another so that we can live the kind of life God has for us and I think for many of us we need a reminder or maybe for the first time in a while to understand that part of obedience to Jesus takes incredible amount of courage the circumstances are huge the cost is big but man it's so good Because when you actually walk in obedience with God, what you will see is the the net positive of all of that is walking with someone who knows us, who loves us, who cares for us, who is so crazy about us. You know what I love about the book of Ruth? The book of Ruth is soaking with Jesus. All the symbolism of turning toward someone else entering a situation that they didn't cause to, 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 re, to be redeemed. I mean, throughout Ruth, we see all of this, and she gets this amazing reward at the end to be in the line of David that will lead us to Jesus because Ruth isn't the only one. Ruth isn't the only one who counted the cost and had the courage to take on death through a cross.